Hi, I'm Steve Duke, and welcome to the Two Roads podcast. Today on the show, we had Philip Dorn. Philip is the CEO of HelloFresh Ireland, and he's also my best and honestly longest friend. So for a bit of context about just how well we know each other, I've known Philip literally my entire life. As in, when I came home from the hospital as a child, Philip was there. We lived on the same street for our entire childhood, went to the same schools, played on a lot of the same sports teams, went to the same uni. We even lived together for a while. And out of college, we actually joined the same company for a little bit too. So we know each other super well. And I think that's one of the reasons that it makes this episode a really interesting conversation between the two of us. So some of the things we talk about. So we talk about what Philip thinks the most important thing people should optimize for early in their career. We talk about why he moved to Ethiopia where he spent a year and how it changed him. We talk about the number one skill it takes to get promoted quickly and to land a job as a CEO because he's landed a CEO job like before his 30, right? So he's clearly very good at something and he has an interesting perspective on the skills that you can develop to help you land that job. We talk about why he likes it, his typical day as a CEO, what he does. Um, We talk a lot about his thoughts about stress both how he performs in stressful situations and what he does to make sure that it doesn't impact his life outside of work, which I find particularly helpful. And he has a, I would say, like a slightly different view on this of what I've heard from most people before. We talk about the questions that he asks himself before every big decision, um, both career decisions and life decisions, and also how not to be reliant on your job as a source of happiness, even though he loves his job and what you can do instead. So this is, um, I had a lot of fun with this uh, chat with Philip um, because I know him so well and it was really interesting to be able to ask him some questions that even though I've known him for all this time, I'd never actually asked him before. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it. Philip, when you were a kid, I was trying to think about this today, right? Because I've obviously known you my entire life. I was trying to think, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? And I actually didn't know. So I was trying to think, was there anything that you wanted to be when you were a kid? Yeah. (laughs) Someone actually asked me this recently. I don't know that I I know um, beyond like... Like, do you know do you know like the, the stuff you used to pretend you're a kid like like being like Aragorn from like Lord of the Rings? Like I don't I don't think that I ever when we're growing up have like a I don't remember having like a profession beyond like some bizarre sort of <laughs> fantastical idea. Like I wasn't one of those kids who were sitting around going, Oh, I can't wait to be an accountant. <laughs> or or even or even like, you know, a fireman or any of these kind of things. It was kind of more like about head in the clouds or you know I want to be like a sports a, sport, a sports person or like all those kind of things so no I, I don't I don't really remember I mean I'm curious like did, do you did you I don't know that I, I don't know that I could pick out for you either other than like a rugby player or something yeah I was trying to think about this myself the other day and I don't think I did either I think there was a period between maybe like maybe when I was like 14 or 15 where for some reason I wanted to be an architect I remember this as well, actually, yeah. <laughs> this is what you did, like, tech, technical drawing in school and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And then I was trying to think, like, where did that come from? And where did it go? Because I have <laughs> very little interest in being an architect. But, uh, yeah, that was the only thing I can ever re- 
really remember being. And then there's about a six month period where I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I did like my work experience in TY and was like, I don't like hospitals, not really that great with sick people and, you know, probably shouldn't be a doctor. Yeah, I feel like we all did that. But like, well, do you remember, like, well, like, obviously, you were talking about early stage, but when you then get to school, and you're talking like guidance counselors and stuff, the conversation is not structured around what do you want to do? It's what you could do. And it's like, oh, you're doing pretty well. You can get the points to medicine. Therefore, that's that one ticked. <laughs> you're going to be a doctor. <laughs> it was honestly felt like that. Oh, 100%, 100% it was. I, I'm sure those sessions are helpful for some people, but like they definitely weren't for me. Um, yeah. But, okay, well, so you didn't become Aragorn. No, no, it, the, the job opening was, was closed, already taken. Um, <laughs> tried my best. So how do you describe what you do now? What do I do now? So currently uh, CEO of uh, HelloFresh in Ireland. So manage and lead that, that business in Ireland. Um, and that's kind of what I do on paper. What I do in practice changes massively every day. Um, as anyone that's kind of run either uh, a, a business or, or, or a startup or been involved in one knows every day is extremely different and even more so in a, a direct to consumer business like, like this. So, um, what I do every day changes a lot, but that's kind of what I, what I do on paper. Um, I do want to go in at some point and kind of pick apart what one of those days, um, might look like. But in terms of like your path from, like, how would you kind of give a quick summary of your path from school to where you are now? I know there's like lots of different things, but if you give kind of the high level timeline and then we can go different ones. Yeah, I'll give the quick one and I'm sure you'll, you'll dive into deeper ones. So I had studied economics finance in college, honestly, because I had the vague idea that I wanted to do business <laughs> and no, no greater idea beyond that. Like honestly, I had this image of like a man in a, a suit with a briefcase that goes to work and, and does business things. Um, so I did economics finance college. Similarly, it, we'll might talk about this in a second, but like went to college with absolutely zero perspective on what I wanted to do afterwards, but also just lack of awareness of even what the opportunities were. Uh, and was lucky enough to have an amazing group of kind of people that I was in college with who were just really plugged in, right? They came from either family backgrounds or friend backgrounds or older brothers that had done different paths. Um, so they knew about, you know, tech space. They knew about finance jobs. They knew about consulting. They knew about all of these things, right? That honestly, in my head, were just business. <laughs> so, you know, that was the main thing that I took from college. I, I went down, a you know, the similar path of people not knowing exactly what they wanted to do. Uh, went into McKinsey and Company, so did consulting for a couple of years. Actually really enjoyed it. Uh, and I can talk about like why why I decided to do it and why I actually think there's still a lot of merit in those kind of jobs. Um, really enjoyed just the growth, the, you know, working with people, working on interesting projects, learning about problem solving, really enjoyed my two years, came to end of it and then wanted to do something completely different. Right. And I, I'd been lucky enough in my time in McKinsey to spend a lot of time on projects that I was quite passionate about, particularly in the public sector space. So healthcare and, and other public sector work, I kind of wanted an adventure. And an opportunity at that time came along to go to Ethiopia, so to work for a, a nonprofit that was supporting as an advisor. So I, I basically placed as an advisor within the Ministry of Finance in Ethiopia. But if you know, leaving leaving university and then going to to McKinsey is kind of a natural step. Like jumping to Ethiopia was obviously a complete right turn, um, but absolutely amazing experience. I was there for a year, 
learned a huge amount about both the culture, about managing people, about myself. Like it was just amazing experience for a year. And my now wife, girlfriend Bella was incredibly supportive of me at the time. So she was, you know, comfortable to support, support me, go and go and do that for a year, et cetera. When she was still based in Ireland, amazing experience. It then came to the end of that and I, I can unpack this more, but basically decided that wasn't something I wanted to keep doing. Uh, then looked around a couple of options, looked at startup, startup world, um, both, you know, starting my own or, or joining a new one, looked at doing an MBA, right? Like all of those different options. I, I kind of decided that none of them were really jumping out at me. So again, similar to post-university, when I didn't know what to do, I, I didn't know what I wanted to learn, right? And what I wanted to learn was how to manage people, how to manage teams, how to manage projects. And, and a very natural place to do that was back at McKinsey, right? I, I knew that there was an accelerated path there for me that was pretty well laid out. And, and when I didn't have a strong feeling on what I wanted to do, it was a very good place to, to learn what I wanted to learn. So I went back there, was kind of lucky enough to pretty quickly um, move into management. So um, managing teams, managing projects, and just learned a huge amount about about that. And, and also learned that I really enjoy it, right? And I really enjoyed the coaching side uh, and both the people management, project management. And that was, you know, as much of a learning as anything, right? Because I obviously spent time up to that point as more of an individual contributor. I just really enjoyed that people management side. So that was kind of reaffirming that that was something that I wanted to do. Project-wise, I worked a lot on, very strangely, I guess for for you know a consultant, I worked a lot on actually more in the tech space and particularly bringing new products and to, to market and, and new strategies. There was just a series of work that was going on in London at the moment at, at that time at McKinsey that was interesting in that space. And I just really loved it. I loved like taking ideas from concept, launching them, thinking about how to bring them to the market, um, thinking about how to change strategy as you go. And then at a certain point, I would say at McKinsey, it kind of decided that what I was now learning was how to be a better consultant, right? It wasn't how to better manage people's better budget projects. And that's a point you come to in, in those kind of careers, right? Where you've got this massive upward trajectory where you're learning about yourself, about how to do work, about how to problem solve, how to manage teams. But then at a certain point, when you become like a more senior manager and about to become into that like path to a partner, what you're learning is how to be a good consultant, or, or at least that was what I felt. And that wasn't my long-term, long-term vision or path. So very open for a change. And about that time, indeed, the job recruiting company reached out to me about a really interesting role. So they had just acquired a machine learning startup in the programmatic job space. So basically placing job ads on, on different job boards in an intelligent way. And the role was to lead both the business and the integration of that of that startup as they'd acquired it. So just thought this was super interesting. Really loved the people that I was chatting to through the process. So decided to make the leap out of consulting into, into industry. Um, and just had an amazing time at Indeed. So I joined to manage that startup, clicked really, really well with the CTO from that startup that was now the, the, the product owner for that, that, um, that piece of both tech and, and software. And, you know, to cut a long story short, essentially that small startup ended up the principles and the tech behind that ended up being applied to Indeed's multi-billion dollar job advertising portfolio. And through that transition, I kind of migrated with that that tech and that business to then uh, got promoted to director and kind of leading the global product commercialization, the go-to-market, the product strategy for that broader Indeed uh, job advertising sponsored jobs product. Just an amazing like 
kind of career step and journey and sort of, you know, those, you know, when you get some of those like mind blowing <laughs> sort of responsibility jumps where you're kind of like, right, you know, I was managing this, you know, couple of, couple of million dollar revenue product and it was kind of, it can fail, it can go well. This, you know, this, it's kind of a very different mindset to all of a sudden multi billion dollar job advertising business, like the core <laughs> engine of the, the business. And, and you're, it just completely changes your, your perspective and, and what you're doing. So did that for a couple of years, really good fun, right? It's been, a, it was through the pandemic as well, which was just a very interesting time to be in the, in the labor market. Um, I, I really loved the company, the culture, but I would say that at a certain point, I kind of realized again, this was not what I had joined that company to do, right? So what I enjoyed launching was new products, new businesses, building, building teams, building projects. Moving to that larger space was, was a much more shepherding type role, right? It's, it's a different space. And, and particularly in, in big tech, like, you know, mate, you get, you get a great lifestyle, you get great compensation, you work with smart people. But for me, there was like a spark missing that I had enjoyed in like my early days there, right? And there's just something different. And, um, when you're working at that scale, you, your ambition becomes very personal, right? It becomes like, how do I, move to the next level or, or get the next career promotion, right? Or how do I make sure that the work that I'm doing gets represented well? It, it kind of switches a little bit versus um, how do I make sure that the thing that I'm working on now really succeeds, right? And just it's when you get to that scale, your ability to personally shift things like diminishes a bit because just by the nature of anything that scale, there's like a hundred people who are extremely important to the success of that product versus the two or three, right? And it's just a very different mindset. So I, I know I'm going a bit of a, bit of a tangent here, but I, about that time again, I, I don't know if it's like, if I'm somehow mentally broadcasting when I'm like ripe for a, a job change. They always, I always seem to get offers like just as I'm, as I'm like thinking about it in that space. Um, HelloFresh reached out about um, the, the role I'm currently in. And I just thought it was super interesting. It, 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 you know, admittedly wasn't a sector that I'd been kind of monitoring, but very aware of them as a company, uh, loved both the, the mission, what they were trying to do, um, the trajectory. And again, really loved the people that I talked to through the process. So made the jump. Essentially the role was to, um, lead and launch, uh, the Irish business from scratch, very much kind of as a startup, uh, startup type role, right? So very independent from the, the global business. Um, but again, with the supports and, and investment structures from, from the global company, I would say about this time, like other things I looked at was again, maybe joining an early stage startup and, or again, looking to find something, but you know, funding market wasn't great. Again, I didn't have like a, a real idea that I wanted to jump at. So this seemed like a pretty good option and yeah, I've, I've loved it. I've loved it since. So, so that, that's my path. I, I know taking us a long time to get here, but I'm sure you'll, we'll unpack. Yeah, but it's good to have like the grant, you know, because you've obviously done different things. And it's like, I think it's cool to be able to see like the transition from each to the other and like the reasoning behind it. And I actually, even though obviously I'd known the different points, the different things that you've done over those years, I hadn't thought about that common thread of actually launching new businesses and building new things, which is very obvious when you look at what you've done now. And um, I want to talk though, so about McKinsey. A little bit and consulting as a career because you said you wanted to talk about why you think it's a good thing to do and consultants get a lot of hate right i think some of it is actually some of it is justified for sure some of it's incredibly deserved there's been some terrible things yeah 
Yeah. Oh, you, well, so there's that level of hate, but then there's all, which is, which is for, you know, things that consulting companies have done, which has been very, very objectively bad. But then there's like kind of the next level down, which is just like, oh, consultants just build PowerPoint decks and don't do any work, right? Which is another level. Um, but why do you think that consulting is actually a good place to spend some time? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's about the, the learning and the growth. And for me, so like, you'll know this, but throughout my like school and college career, and then even for a short time immediately afterwards, one of the main things that I was involved in personally was, was, um, sport, right? So is on kind of a, um, high performance track for sailing, right? Which I, I know is a, a sport not many people will think about, but, um, essentially on, on the Irish team. So like a massive amount of my time through that period was on, uh, how do I improve at sailing? Right. So that, that was, that was, that was kind of the, what was going on in the background in from my head the whole time. At a certain point, I decided that wasn't what I wanted to continue to do. Right. But what I had learned maybe both consciously at the time, but then also like really subconsciously when I look back, what I had learned most about being in that, let's say high performance sports environment is like, you are a product of the people that you spend time with, the coaches that you spend time with, and that um, the compounding effects of being coached well early in your career and trajectory are massive, right? Like like massive. And, and the earlier that that starts, the more it compounds and, and the better that you are at the end, right? So it's kind of applying that exact those exact same concepts to your career, right? So let's say, you know, if you look at like the amazing like tennis players or golf players, and they've been interviewed about what, you know, what, why have they been able to achieve so much, so much they point to like early stage coaches that they had was in their kids. Right. And they're like, oh, that person, that, that person got me in that, you know, built the right mindsets, all of those things. It's never, oh, it was pretty poor. And then all of a sudden I had a coach there last week and he got me great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So early in your career, I think far more importantly than the what is is the how and the coaching and the growth and the development that you can get from that. And that was certainly something that I, at the time, felt and saw in those graduate type programs, right? I, I'm like actually a really big advocate for like, once you leave college, you don't know how to work. You don't know how to do anything, right? Um, you certainly don't know how to be in that professional environment. And unless you are someone that's got a passion and a startup idea that you want to go after and like, all power to you if you've got that, right? I think that's amazing. And, and you're incredibly lucky to have that passion. You should go pursue it. If you don't, invest in yourself. And a graduate program early in your career is a really good way to get a grounding in how to process things, how to manage, manage your own time, your own day, how to break down problems, how to deal with people, whether that's internal or, or clients. And look, for me, it's less around consulting. I think it's a program similar to that, right? Some tech program companies will have these similar, similar programs. As long as you are around a combination of peers who also want to continue to improve and grow, managers who want to very close coach, mentor, and teach you, and then let's say the next level up that you can look to as um, <clears throat> kind of people to inspire, mentor you, give thoughts, et cetera. I think that's a really good environment to be around in. And when I think about that from a sporting context, that was exactly what I sought out, right? <clears throat> good training groups, right? The people who could push you to be the next level, good coaches, right? And, and then also maybe being close to or being 
exposed to some of your heroes that are way ahead of you in terms of their their abilities, but you can kind of see and you can model behaviors. And, and so applying those concepts to your profession is, I think, a really good way of thinking about it early in your career. If you don't have that passion where I'm going to take a bet and go, you know, do, do X, Y, Z. 100%. I think thinking about it, and I'm wondering, is there also another one which is around the processes and systems of a place, right? Because that was something that I think McKinsey has very good. Even if you replaced all the people tomorrow morning, okay, it would be a very different place, but actually the systems of like feedback and development and coaching are all still there. I think that's a big one as well. And if you're like, so I, I think that's, I actually think it's a really, really good point, right? But if you're say in your final year of college now, everybody has a graduate program and you kind of just want a job. And so I get your point that um, there's a lot of value in graduate programs. And so if you're weighing up that versus something else, like maybe give a bit more weight to graduate programs because of the development and coaching that you'll get. But like, is there any way to, from the outside, try and understand which company or which area might have better development opportunities for you? Yeah, like it's a really good question, right? And, and not all programs are created equal. Everyone can uh, hire two or three people and slap a graduate program title on it. Um, I, I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule there. What I will say is if you talk to people in the organization, right, preferably ones that aren't necessarily in the recruitment space, right, who are actively trying to sell you on it. But if you can reach out to people that are either working there, talk to people that you either know, or if you don't know, like just reach out to them, right? I think that's something that I've also kind of realized you can cold call, cold call and message people who are working in a place and they will give you a pretty honest answer. Um, and, and like you, 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 it's then down to your intuition. And I think that if you reach out to people and talk to people and get a feel for that, what that working environment is, you'll, you'll think about, is that somewhere that I, I could see myself learning and, and growing? And I, I say it's personal and there isn't hard or fast real because Again, everyone is different. Like everyone learns incredibly differently. The environment that's right for some people will be different for others. Um, but I would really say like optimizing your early years for like a place that you can grow and, and, and teach rather than even necessarily an industry that you think you want to spend the rest of your time in, right? That can always change. If you're able to do both, do both, right? But if it's, if it's a choice between joining a place where you think you can grow, improve, enjoy your first couple of years of work, but also like really learn versus taking a job that you don't think has that potential, but is maybe in a sector that you want to work in long-term. I'd rather the first and then look to move into that sector at a later point, because I think that will put you in a much better place. Um, look, and that's that's my personal kind of experience and, and thoughts. Another thing I'd say is like everyone is incredibly different. Uh, and like we all go through life with like you know a, a data set of n equals one <laughs> so you know we all have our own personal biases based on what worked for us or didn't work for us but i, I know there's a couple of principles within there that I, I think are pretty 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 good to think about yep i agree um i know that when you were leaving college you also had a offer to go and become a trader was was it the same um, considerations that made you choose like consulting over trading that you thought you wouldn't kind of learn and develop as much or was it something else? I think it was a combination of 
a couple of things. Um, so I think definitely that, right? I think that was definitely a consideration. I, I think there's also a thing, and this is something that I've always applied to every life decision, right? Is do you really believe in the core mission of what's happening in this place, right? I, you don't need to be curing cancer every day, right? We don't always, we don't all get that, get that chance. But you do need to have a mission that you can say, that's pretty, that's pretty cool thing. I can explain that to my granny and she's going to go, good, cool, interesting, right? Um, even if she doesn't understand it, right? Like at its most basic, and I really do mean like at its most basic, what does the company do? And can you say that's a pretty cool thing, right? And in consulting, it's a little bit different because some of the things they do, you can point to that. And some of the things are like, you definitely don't do that. But, you know, then they're the projects that you choose. But that was kind of what it came down to for trading for me. It was interesting work, right? They had, you know, it was exciting, all of those things. I'm sure there was a lot of growth. Make a stack of money. Oh, huge. Like, yeah, huge, huge conversation boards. But it just wasn't something that I felt like I could get up every morning and go, yeah, that's it. I, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm doing today. And, and that's not like, I, I, I don't, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the industry. It's not something that I, I think like, oh, all traders are heartless vultures or something like that, right? That's not the case at all. But that's very much something that you've got to set your own own kind of mind to of what what is something that you can get up every day and go, that's pretty cool. I, I'm glad that I do that. And I, and I help, you know, that, that to be achieved. So that's kind of maybe another, uh, maybe at the end of this interview, we'll play back <laughs> the, the things that have um, influenced my decisions because uh, I'm probably learning it live. But uh, that's, that's another big one for me. And, and it's one I've applied to every career decision since where, where I've had different options as well. And it's far more important to me personally than uh, like financial rewards, right? Because again, you, you're, if you don't have that, you're not going to be at your best. You're not going to continue to perform. You're not going to continue to to grow and improve. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's, I think both of those reasons, the kind of development learning reason and the the passion for the mission reason are very like um, mature considerations, I would say. Like they, they are tough, like, you know, especially say if you're coming out of college and you're weighing up this thing that you're not that passionate for, but it's going to pay you really, really well. Like it, it's a, it's hard to make that trade off. But, but the, the one thing I have found is maybe trading is the one example that um that can't be applied to this but you will make the money back later on in your career if you you know if even even if that is i'm not saying this is the most important thing but even if it even if you're saying it is it's like the difference in your first job of salary um is not going to be that much compared to 10 years down the road if you've learned a ton and it's something that you're actually passionate about yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, look, would have made a lot of money if we went into trading, but but uh, the way I kind of think about it, like I completely agree with you. Like, and I'm a massive believer in that concept. If you're doing something that you think is like worthwhile doing, you are going to do a better job at it. You are therefore going to learn more. You're therefore going to progress more. Um, and ultimately, again, I, I kind of I continue to think about this like concept. You know, like in investing. To, to go back to my economics and finance undergrad, the one thing I learned, um, that like compound interest point, right? That like small amounts of money invest, like money invested earlier on, can have massive um, impacts further down the line because of that compound interest principle. Apply that to 
your learning and your growth, right? So the differences early on, you know, in terms of money might, might not be that big, but if you're compounding and learning and growing much more in one job, the trajectory that you would have been on on that job that maybe you were earning more at the start, but you weren't super enjoying, so you're going to tick along and do okay at versus the one where you're really enjoying learning, growing, and doing all those things. Like the difference in those in like 20 or 30 times is just going to be like incomparable. So again, I think it's really important to, that, that people weigh up and think about those in the right, in the right way. And I completely agree with you. I, I, don't, I think for your first job out of college, money should be like a consideration. You've always got to make sure you're being rewarded the right way and, and you're okay with that. But there are much more important things to consider, I would say, early on in career. And, and again, like we're both, we're both, we're both retrospectively applying this. We weren't that consciously thinking about this when we're coming out of college, but if someone is listening to this like early on in their career, I, I really encourage you to think about what's something that you're going to enjoy doing and you feel you, you can grow it and improve at. And if that means turning down some money to go and do that, like that's a very worthwhile trade-off in my opinion. I feel like I feel like you're a lot more thoughtful picking your job at a college than I was. I picked it because I got to wear a I got to wear a nice suit, and uh, and it actually did pay pretty well. So I was like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> Good expenses policy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when when you were at McKinsey, both before you went to Ethiopia and then afterwards when you came back, you you performed well and you got promoted like pretty quickly, right? By all kind of benchmarks. Why do you think you did well? Can I be honest? Like the biggest thing is luck. That's oh, bullshit. It's bullshit answer. <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll explain like the things that set me up. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one, but then you have to give me a second one. Yeah, no, like let, let me just to build on it. Like so, and there's a lot of lot of things, a lot of things in 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 life. Right, you've got to have a little bit of luck and then be set up well to take advantage of the luck. But I know other people that were not, let's say, progressing as fast as me. That I, I feel were just as competent. But anyway. Put the look aside, which is always a big thing. Um, I, I think a couple of things that, let's say, I think particularly when I moved to the management stage helped me, and, and maybe less so in the in the early stages, is that I really, really enjoy working with and coaching and managing people, right? And even even from these days, let's say before you get promoted to manager, that was always there were always opportunities that I sought out and put my hand up for, and, and you know trying to mentor someone coming out of the team or something like that. And really, it's just something that I kind of enjoy. Do you know what I mean? And again, like seeking out things that you enjoy, like that's something that gives me a lot of energy. And for some of these these roles, that's very helpful because you need to do a lot of it, right? And um, that kind of sets me up well to look forward to come into work each day, right? And, and trying to manage and coach that, that person because it's something that I actually enjoy. Um, a second one is, is maybe is more on the people side. Um, is that I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, was able to make good relationships and friends with like clients, right? And then people more senior than me as well. And I, again, I, I think that's something that maybe some people, when they come into those kind of fresh environments, kind of forget is that these are all people, right? And, and even if someone has got, if someone has got like, you know, five or six, seven years more experience with you, it doesn't make them a different type of person, right? They can still like bond with you over things. They can still, you can still tell them 
problems. You can tell them your doubts, you know, you can explain mistakes to them. So after your first stint at McKinsey, about two years or so, that's when you made the call. You wanted to go a bit of an adventure, something different, go to Ethiopia. Um, I'm sure you have so many stories from that. I've heard some of them. But what I'm most interested in is what do you think were the biggest differences between the Philip who left Ireland to go to Ethiopia and the Philip who came back a year later? And maybe unpack some of the why, but there was definitely a maturity, I would say, that, that wasn't necessarily there before, um, which I think is the biggest, the biggest one. I think when you spend time in an environment, in in a, in a a developing country, right. With, um, an incredibly different, both, um, economic situation, living situation, uh, culture, you just like without doing too much, you just change. And, and and you, in my opinion, you mature, um, you, you get a better perspective on both life and, yourself and, and what what you want to do personally um yeah it just like there's there was a maturity there um like I mean, one of the one of the reasons that i went to ethiopia or not one of the reasons but i remember when i was trying to make the decision at the time i was talking to uh you know, a bunch of kind of my mentors and i actually can't remember who said this one but it, it was a piece of advice that i've actually really tried to try to live to a lot of the time and it was when you're thinking about a, a decision like that take the one that you think makes you a more interesting person right um and it's not one i've always been able to apply but there's just something there about looking for experiences and life experiences that enrich certainly enrich enrich you as a person and your your personality that kind of build you into a more rounded human and are also experiences that you can look back on and say that was something both interesting and something that I'm super proud of, um, and that you think is having you know a positive impact um, on the world and all that. But that that was a piece of advice that I got before, and I, you know I want to kind of think about it now. But it, it was probably true coming back. I probably was. I don't mean more interesting in like you know at dinner conversations. I've got loads of stories to tell. I, I, right? I, I mean in more so in the case of like more to you uh, as a person right like like a, a depth that probably wasn't there before and that's not to say you know went to ethiopia and found myself right <laughs> nothing so dramatic as that but it's more just a continue a continuous build um and i think if you've got an opportunity to really work like to really really work outside of your cultural comfort zone it, it's a really good thing to do um not always easy to do but i, I think it's a really good thing to do why do you think that people can kind of learn or change so much when they're working in some, a place that's like so culturally different? I think without knowing it, we probably spend most of our times uh, working with and around people who are pretty close to ourselves, right? And there might be, you know, big superficial personality differences. But if you've grown up in a, you know, Western culture environment in Europe, the US, Australia, you've, we've watched the same shows. You've listened to the same like music. You're in the same like cultural zeitgeist, if you like, 
there are commonalities of understanding between you, even if like superficially different backgrounds or even different like socioeconomic backgrounds within those, those countries and all of those things, there's an understanding between you, right? That when you go somewhere, somewhere like in Ethiopia, right? It's just completely different, like completely different, both, you know, values, life understanding, culture, what they prioritize. It's just completely different. And, and when you spend time working with, People like that, and, and you know, I worked with some absolutely amazing, um, amazing people. I think even subconsciously, you begin to kind of understand and notice things about both yourself in a way that is you probably don't get if you're just constantly working with people that are somewhat similar to you. Um, so it's like you know, I'm a massive believer in in you know bringing together a diverse range of opinions, thoughts, and life experiences into a team, right? It's super important. But if you go to somewhere like Ethiopia at the time, like it's an extreme level of diversity, right? Like like people who think about life just completely different to you, even the ones that are, you know, let's say even people who are working jobs that are quite similar to what you're doing, right? And so I had a lot of, you know, both reported into and worked with um, Ethiopians that just had a very different perspective on like what was important important to them and and the way that they approach problems the way they approached conflict and and just very different just very different right and it's i I wouldn't even necessarily be able to say exactly what those differences are and point to them and um but just you're you're aware that you're in a different cultural environment to what you've grown up and been used to and that pushes you out of a comfort zone and i think it helps you to, to, to grow a little bit in ways that you probably don't even understand at the time but like increasingly i, I look at it and, and think that I, I took a lot out of that that experience yeah i think that's a good point because i'm thinking even on a smaller level right like when we went to the us for a summer okay now it's still a western largely white white society in fact probably more western and more white than even where we grew up right and but but you get exposed to like these different people living different lives like prioritizing different things and i think it either makes it it one it makes you go oh everybody doesn't think like i do so and and these are also and now i'm exposed to them i'm working very closely with them you get to know them they become something other than like oh some story i read on facebook right or a book that i read and it's like no no like here's a real person with a very very different real worldview to what i have prioritizing different things you know and seeing that up close is very different yeah and and they see the world in a different way and like you realize then when you see that at the extremes you realize that on a micro level that's every single person right we've all got those slightly different experiences and we see the world and and like have filters and values that are slightly different i think helping to understand that gives you a different perspective on dealing with and getting to know people. So I, I think there's a lot, yeah, a lot of benefits in, in, in having those different exposures. Like, like just, this is not a, not a business one, but it's maybe a good point of like how different people can experience the world. So a good friend that I had out there, we were talking about different, um, let's say ways, you know, ways of eating, right? So obviously in, in Ireland, we eat with a knife and fork, right? You would almost never, other than something that comes in like a bread roll or like a wrap, you would never, you know, eat eat like a, a stew with your hands, okay? So, and um, my Ethiopian, the uh, Ethiopian friend was explaining that to them, 
the tasting the food through your hands is a is an a, a experiential part of eating, right? In a way that they don't get when they eat with a knife and fork, right? They're like missing a taste element of that food, right? And that was kind of like a little bit like mind blowing to me. So, like you know, outside of that, right, which is obviously a very different example of the business, but you, you can think like there's just that's a completely different way and perspective of looking at life. And if you think about like something as extreme as that, then apply to everyday things like what happens if you know something goes wrong at work right again if you've got someone coming from a very different cultural background they're coming to that with a very different perspective so likewise you know and if you take that down to the micro level someone that's not you comes with it very with a very different perspective and i think understanding that is a really helpful thing to get your head around um i can see that for sure like just having it's like empathy but on I was going to say on an extreme scale, but it's actually on all scales, right? So it's like empathy for people who are like completely, completely different to you, but then also empathy for somebody who you think might be the exact same as you, but they could be looking at the same problem in a very, very different way. Yeah, 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 exactly that. So, look, we're we're we're, we're going around in in, <laughs> in long ways in a long way from the original question, but it's kind of I think that was the main thing that I took from it was that the perspective is that there are people in the world with very different ways of looking at the world than than me and i i think that is true at the extreme right where you come from a different part of the world a different culture and it's also true at the micro where you and i grew up in the same you know we grew up in the same street went to the same play school went to the same primary school same secondary school for, for the for the listeners to explain the depth of understanding same same college we then did the same first job out of work i would say we have very different ways of looking at the world we lived together for a while yeah, we lived together. Yeah, I, I, you know, we both did like similar sports. We were on the same sports teams growing up. We have very different ways of viewing the world, I would say. You know, so like that's, if if that's possible with like that, you know, <laughs> pretty close, pretty close cultural similarity, you can, you can imagine the diversity of opinion out there in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. Okay, so you, you know, to pick back up on kind of the, the storyline. So you come back from Ethiopia, you work at McKinsey, um, I kind of want to skip forward a little bit to the HelloFresh piece because I think that's super interesting. I want to talk a bit more about that. So you work at McKinsey, you leave, you work at Indeed. Um, and then, you know, you leave Indeed, like a senior, really good position at Indeed, but you leave to become the CEO of HelloFresh in Ireland, right? How does that even happen? Like, where do you, were you perusing the internal job board at Indeed? You know, do you get some sort of special access at Indeed to the CEO jobs that nobody else sees? Like, I, honestly, I'm actually genuinely interested. <laughs> the, the special jobs, we keep them for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But how does, how does that even happen? Like, what's the process for kind of interviewing for that type? Or, you know, from the very start, right, to, to actually getting the job? What does that process look like um, for that job? At least in my case, it was a it was a headhunter, right? It was a recruiter, the um, third party recruiter that reached out to me. Um, and you get these like, you know, quite often, right? It, it, when you get to a certain point in your career, you, you'll you'll be well aware as well. You get a lot of LinkedIn reach outs, right? Like um, with different jobs, but this one was particularly interesting. So I, I kind of took the call, right? That first approach is you, you get a message that says, "Would you like to? Would you be interested in?" this um decided to take the call was a really interesting both job um kind of role career company all of those things that sort of said 
okay, this is pretty interesting. The next level is then you'll typically get a conversation with someone pretty senior within the organization, not necessarily an interview, but um, like a, a kind of a conversation more where it's a little bit more you telling them about yourself and them telling you about the company, right? That they're still pitching you at that stage to a certain extent. Um, I then decided it was something that I wanted to do, right? So you then go through the full application process and then had a, a series of, you know, both interviews, presentation pitches um, that I made to to the senior leadership there, like the global senior leadership and ultimately, you know, got the job. But it kind of starts with that that direct reach out. Yeah, it, that it's often then it like you're, I wasn't in the job market necessarily before that. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't searching job boards, looking at, looking at jobs. Um, now, as it happened at exactly the same time, there was another company that was also uh, talking to me about a role as well. So I kind of had two or three jobs that I could compare and think about. But yeah, that was that was kind of how the, the process went. Um, how long was it from kind of initial reach out to, you know, contract signed? About three or four months. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a long process. It's a long process because A, you've got that initial courting phase, right? Um, and then the, the, uh, interview stage is, is really in depth. You're talking about like six, seven interviews and typically a pitch or presentation to a, to a committee or something like that. Um, so in my case, it was to like, you know, um, the kind of members of the global leadership SLT in some ways it's really helpful, right? Because what, by the time you get to the end, you have a very good perspective. If this is something you want to do or not. Right. Versus say, you know, early in your career, sometimes you can apply for a job and within a week or within two weeks, you've got an offer or, 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 a, or a turn down and, and you, you haven't really had the time to think about, is this actually something I want to do? So look, it's, it's definitely a long, it's a long process. And in my experience, the further you progress in your career, the longer those processes become, because obviously for the company, the, the risk factor of hiring someone wrong goes up. So yeah, it was an enjoyable process, but definitely a long one. Um, but the benefit being that you've got a pretty good perspective on the company. Yeah, that's true. Um, it was obviously a decent amount of work as well, right? Like you're kind of preparing for every interview, especially if you're doing presentations, like that's actually proper work. Was there anything that you did during that process that you think really helps your chances? You know, maybe a non-obvious thing other than, you know, preparing and doing a good job. It's a good question. I mean, there's definitely a lot of it is just work and prep and research. You, you, you've got to give up a lot of weekends, right? Because you're still doing your core job. One that I felt very beneficial to me was I got a lot of input. Like at that stage in your career, you've typically built up a good network of both peers and mentors. I got a lot of input from from those, both from people like at Indeed, right? At the company that I was leaving. And, and then also people from previous jobs, peers. So like I remember... I remember, you know, getting you on the call for uh, for an hour, going through things. Um, and that's a really helpful thing to me because I remember it's not something that I would have done in previous previous job applications. And it feels very, you come into your own space and, you, you know, you, this personal echo chamber where you're thinking about what are my strengths or my, my weaknesses, whereas getting that um, feedback from different people who've worked with you, who know you well, I think is really helpful. So that first of all, to, co to come up with like a pretty well-rounded view of why you should or shouldn't be getting this job, right? And you're able to articulate that. And then in terms of, let's say, the, the kind of more presentation and strategy side of things, again, if you were doing this in a 
in a company or in a business, you wouldn't go into a dark room for a weekend and emerge with a PowerPoint deck right on XYZ. You'd spend a time within a team, you'd be problem solving it, you'd be iterating it. So I got a lot of input from friends, from uh, kind of mentors that I've had from, you know, Bella, my wife, who's amazing, kind of looking at things and, and finding different ways. Again, exactly what you do in a business, right? You'd, you'd, be, in a, you'd be in a team, you'd workshop it, you'd go through several iterations of it, applying those same principles to putting your best version of yourself forward in, in the job application is quite helpful. Not something that I did massively previously. It's definitely something that, you know, if I'm ever in a position to change jobs again, I'd apply exactly the same principles yeah i think it does require a bit more vulnerability though because at the very at the most basic level you're going to your friends and saying hey i'm applying for this job which means that if you don't get it you have to let them know you didn't get it whereas like if you apply for a job on your own you never have to tell anybody you just go through the process if you get it great you tell everyone if not well hey nobody ever knew so it, it is it's a bit more daunting because like, i've done it as well like a couple of times and you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to tell them. But the benefit, the benefit is is huge if you can get over that. And then even things like, you know, say for example, um, where you've got a, you know, presentation or something as part of that process, right? Where you've had to prep something personally, putting that up to like, like you know, your friends or your peers who you respect, and then saying that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Is it like it cuts much more personally than in a work context, right? Where it's it's kind of naturally happening. So, yeah, I, I think that's maybe why I wouldn't have done it more in the past, right? Is that opening yourself up to vulnerabilities, and you know, you kind of want to emerge at the end with like the ticket and say, I "Have the job," and then tell people about it. As you say, telling people about it mid process requires a lot more both vulnerabilities and probably embracing a bit of like humbleness as well, right? That you don't have all the answers and and you know you, you need some support and help. So yeah, that's very, very true. Very true. Yeah, I know. It's a big one. Like I've worked with um or kind of mentored like some people earlier in their in their career who are like going through the process of like looking for jobs and whatever else. And um they seem often very unwilling to ask for help. They're like, no, I gotta do this on my own. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know how everybody gets jobs, and the more so as you get older is by asking for help, whether that's basic stuff like, um, you know, using your network to get an introduction to even get an interview or helping you through the process or whatever else. It's like, you know, nobody does this on their own as they get older, especially not the ones who actually end up getting the jobs. Um, it's just a different mindset shift, I think. I know earlier you were saying like every day is very different, right? But if we could pick a day, I don't know if there's a day last week, that you could kind of just talk me through a bit so that we have some sense because it's obviously, I think for, for a lot of people, CEO, he's sitting up there in the corner office, you know, um, shaking hands and kissing babies and cutting ribbons. Uh, but like, what, what do you actually do? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can talk you through it. I don't know if I can even remember a single day, but a pretty, a pretty typical one or, or an example day in the life of. Um, wake up, typically go into the office. We do hybrid working, but, um, I, I try to you know, be in the office a lot of the time. Um, don't have a, don't have a corner office. I sit, sit down with everyone else. And this is actually one that I, I increasingly find with, um, 
with leaders in companies. I remember seeing this in consulting as well. Like the idea that the CEO sits off in a, in a corner office is like, it's almost becoming outdated and increasingly they're in like this open, open plan. So definitely, definitely in my case. Um, when I get in, you know, I'll typically do the usual check emails, check slacks, make sure nothing major is, is changed or changing. Then I'll spend a lot of the start of my day, um, looking at data, uh, and, um, insights into both the business, both from an operation perspective, how we're performing, are we, you know, producing our product in a good way, customer perception of that product, which is just the most important thing, um, in a, in a direct to consumer business, particularly a subscription direct to consumer business, are you continuing to produce an amazing product for your customers? So that's number one, uh, our marketing performance. There's a bunch of those different metrics that I will check every, literally every morning, like ha- how we're performing on. Um, and it's one of the big thing, a slight difference maybe for me coming from a more B2B type business background where when you've got sales as a mediator between yourself and the customer, there's another channel that you can go to for additional information, feedback, customer perceptions. It's a slightly different approach when you're in, in direct consumer, you've really got to lean into the, the, the data and, and make sure that you're understanding that. So I spend a lot of my time doing that. Right. And come, I come typically come away from those with a bunch of either questions or priorities that I know that I need to look into either for the day or for the next couple of days and for the week. Um, and that can be either trends or it can be one-off events that I can see. So that, that's, that's a really big, big part of it. Uh, and also when you're in, particularly in a growing stage of a business, kind of similar to a startup, that's not something that you can have like an analyst go and do and then bring you what they think are the right things. Cause ultimately that's the job, right? You need to know that in depth. You need to get, get it, you know, for want of a different word. Um, and that's something that I, in the past have seen the really the leaders that I like, let's say, aspire to be similar to, they really understand their business. They really understand the data. They are able to get into the weeds of it. You're not always able to do it, but I think that's a different approach to, let's say, you get a report once a week and how the business is doing with some, you know, trends emerging and, and leads and nice, pretty slides. I, I find that's not, it's not enough detail to come to the right decisions. Um, then I'll spend a lot of my day in, uh, typically in like one-to-ones with with my leadership team um digging into both pa- sharing priorities from my perspective based on you know the, those insights that i've got um and then also problem solving particular topics that they've they've got or, or their team members have got that that's a big part of it um you've got to remember as well when you're in that let's say towards the you know at, at kind of the the center of any organization and, and it can be of any size right you are the one person that's got the perspective over all of those different teams and um, and areas. So a really big part of it as well is is tying together those interdependencies across the different teams and making sure that the the product team knows what the marketing team is doing and thinking, uh, and that you know the operations team is 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 linked up with that as well. And all of those things they happen organically, right? An amazing team that they work incredibly well together. But again, there's a perspective that you get being at that kind of helicopter level, right? Where you can see things that is very hard to see when you're in those different teams. And having been in, let's say, the equivalent of one of those teams at, you know, my previous role and my previous jobs, right? Where I didn't have perspective over the whole business. I now I see a lot of things that, you know, I wouldn't have seen before. So that, that's a big part of it. Um, they're, they're kind of the, the two or three things that like I do 
every, every day, right? Like, so check in with the teams, um, check in with, uh, you know, how business is progressing. Then there'll be other things that'll happen to me one off. So I'll spend a bit of time or often spend time at, at our production site, right? Um, I don't come from a production background. So it is not that I can look at a, an assembly line and say, we need to tweak this, this, and this. But what I can do is even just by being there is uh, give additional kind of sounding boards and problem solving topics to my production team, uh, produ- or production, you know, head of production. Um, you can build good relationships with other partner companies that you work with and maybe at that site. Um, and there's also just, again, because you've got that slightly different perspective, you can see things that is difficult to see if you are uh, stuck in, or not stuck in, but you're, your mindset is focused on one particular thing and like laser focused on one thing as it has to be. Again, you, you can maybe see different things. So I spend a lot of, a lot of time there. Um, and, and then the, you know, other things that come up more sporadically are like, um, uh, conversations with partners, um, suppliers, um, all of those things, right. And, and building those and holding those relationships, because again, you are, um, for better or for worse, the you know the, the face of that organization. So you, you've often got to hold some of those relationships. It seems like a lot of a lot of relationships, where you know, pe- whether it's um, people management, right, like the people who are on your leadership team and working with them, or partners, or whatever. Like it does feel like it's a very heavy uh, people role. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It definitely is. Um, you you've got to be very comfortable at building and holding relationships. Because another another part of the job as well then is, you know, I guess similar to, you know, investors at a startup or a board, you know, I've also got to hold really good relationships with with the parent company, right, with, with HelloFresh Global, both for, um, to make sure that we are getting the benefits of, you know, global best practices, um, changes that we're making, learnings from other markets, right, in terms of what, what works well for consumers that we can apply here. Um, also making sure that, you know, ultimately as, cause you know, uh, making sure they're comfortable with, you know, the financial progress of the market, all of those things. It's a lot of relationship building. It's a lot of, um, like really understanding what drives different people, different partners, all of those things. So yeah, it's a really big part of it. It's not the only part though. And that's a part where the hardest part for me, maybe to, to do it at this, in this role is that you have to do all of that. Plus you've got to really understand the business, the product, you, you, you can't switch off your head just because, you know, you're the one. Yeah. So, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, um, learning how to balance those things. So managing your team members, making sure that they're aligned and what you're driving towards, making sure that, you know, other people within the organization are, are kind of, um, supporting, supporting your team as well. And then also more, more broadly that, you know, partners are doing the right thing. Like all of those things is a big part of it. And that's like a big people draw, but fundamentally you've also got like run a business, right? Like there's no, it's not like a, you know, you, you switch it on and it just keeps going away in the background. As long as you can keep ticking, there are real problems to solve. Your brain has got to switch on. There's a lot of decisions to make. I feel like you really like that part of it. You know, the way people say like, oh, I like solving problems. Like I, I feel like you even talking about them now, you're kind of getting excited. Like. Yeah, no, I definitely do. Um, I think it's it's something I've always really enjoyed. Right, um, is that identifying identifying a problem, particularly like a, a customer problem. Right, you, you get like just a really good buzz out of it, um, and then working with 
working with people to, 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 to realize it, right? Like when you get to, you know, the, the level that I'm at at the moment, there are very few problems that you can solve by yourself, right? Like, like very, very few. There's, there's very few problems that you can even fully understand by yourself, right? You've got to be working with, typically with, with, um, with your team. So that's the part that I really enjoy. Like, I really enjoy that, like debating, teasing things out. Um, they're real kind of, you know, stuck in a room and, uh, thinking about a problem and bringing it to a solution and then seeing the, the impact of that. And that's like independent of like the, the role or what jobs that I'm doing It's something I just really enjoy. And I think it's that, cause it, for me, it's that combination of two things I really enjoy, like the sort of like, you know, trail of like solving something, uh, like, you know, I, I, I have you now, I have it sorted. Um, and then also working with people to, to, to impact it. I think it's just a combination of two things that I, I get a lot of energy from. Like I really get a lot of energy from, and it's something that I try to build uh, into my time and in, in a way that allows me to, to, you know, continue to, to get that, that energy. Cause ultimately that's, what's going to drive out, you know, the, the best solutions for the business. And then ultimately the best, what's most important, the best product for the customer that they're getting a, an, an amazing service. Um, so yeah, I re- really enjoy that. I really miss that from McKinsey that like, you know, problem solving in a room with a bunch of people. Um, I really, and even like doing it in person, like physically versus virtually, I just, I just found like, I really enjoy that, like collaborative problem solving. Maybe it's just like how I do it, but it's like, I want to throw around ideas. Like they mightn't be good, but just like somebody argue with me about them and then we'll get to a good answer. And I found like, especially now as I'm doing a bit more work on my own, I really miss that. Cause I'm like, I have an idea, but it's like, I want somebody to tear this idea apart and tell me what's stupid because then I might get to a better idea um, instead. So I can see, I can see where you enjoyed that side of it. Um, do you ever find it stressful? I, I mean, for me, it's different, right? Like, cause I, I, I've, you know, read things on that as well. I, I wouldn't say that I was personally super stressed, but was able to deal with it. I would say that like a step before that, I, I didn't feel super stressed. Do you know what I mean? I, and I think that, I think that this is almost about how you define your sense of self. Like, like most of my, let's say, self-worth or whatever you want to call it, like how I define me, I, I don't honestly don't derive from work, right? Like, like work is like an interesting, a really interesting part of my life. And it's a huge part of my life. You obviously, you go to work for a lot of the time. But if I think about the things of whether I would be like content, not content, stressed, not stressed, happy with who I am as a person or not happy with who I am as a person. A lot of things I can think of before it's, it's work, right? You know, um, it, it's, you know, making sure that I'm spending time with my friends, making sure that I'm, you know, getting to see my family, making sure that, um, you know, like a massive part of it is, is, you know, that like Bella, my wife and I are, you know, content, have a, have a good life, all of those things you can disassociate yourself from work to a certain extent and then work is like okay it's 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 a job and the stakes could be really high in the job and, and you you might be you know you can go further and further in the job and all those things but i wouldn't say that it's that different to when i don't feel it that differently to let's say when i when i started and like maybe that's something that i've got naturally i, I actually think that i probably got it more from sport right so because I, I would have done a um like an individual sport um growing up 
um, you know, did team sports as well, but spent a lot of time, as you know, doing individual, like sailing and competing for you know, championships abroad and all of those things. And there are sometimes where you do really well and sometimes where you do really, really badly. And sometimes there's luck involved, right? It's not, it's not always something that you've done. And you've got to become very comfortable that if I'm finishing first or second, or if I'm finishing 34th at a, at a you know, a, a world championships or a European event or something like that, that doesn't mean that I am a 34th, you know, 34 times worse person than when I finished first, right? And honestly, I struggled with that initially, I would say, like through my, my early stages, or not early stages, but let's say through like my you know, teenage years doing that, doing sport like that, I found that my sense of self-worth was really defined by how well I was doing at that thing, right? Uh, you know, naturally kind of competitive person wanted to make sure that I was you know, putting my best foot forward, all of that. And kind of, you know, over time learned that that was just a part of me, right? And and the success or, or failure there is not something that I've got to really define my life by. And um, I think being able to, and, and over time, like I learned, you know, like with the like sports psychology and this as well, learning to separate the results and the process and, and all of those things from your kind of a, em, emotional um state through that uh, just allow me to enjoy it much more right and again I, I think you know kind of back to the point of you know is this something that i've i've learned or always had I, I wonder if maybe some of that experience was a really helpful toolkit to then apply to the business world where things can go well and things can go badly and it, it's dependent on decisions that you make right and i think it, it just equipped me with a good toolkit for that going forward but that's that's all learnable right and i think if someone is someone is you know doesn't necessarily have that from earlier in the career again learning how to define your sense of success not success separately to some of the decisions you make some of the career steps you take what happens to you in your in your career is really important i think or certainly Again, like everyone's different, but I certainly felt found it very helpful to then be able to go into those very stressful situations because you're able to keep quite even. You do, you do strike me like from the outside, right? And you could tell me this is wrong, but from the outside, you strike me as somebody who is always been very good at dealing with stress, and now even better, right? Like you can correct me if if that's wrong. That's just like my outside in perspective, but like, is that true? And if so. Do you think some of that is just natural? Like some people are kind of just a bit better at dealing with it or is there elements of it that actually, you know, I've, you've implemented certain things that help you with it. I'm genuinely interested, like for my own sake as well. Yeah, um, de- definitely, right? It's, it's, a, it's a stressful job. I would say that, that said, I don't think that it is, any more that I've experienced any more stress than like previous jobs or previous roles. Um, that is maybe because I'm better at dealing with it. Right. Rather than, you know, it's, there's uh, less stressful situations, but when you move from that, um, role where you've got someone managing you, right. Um, and that can, you can be pretty senior and still have that. Right. But you know, in this role, like there's no one, let's say that is, thinking about what I do day to day. Um, there's just a very different level of responsibility that, that comes with that. And, and that comes with a, a lot of additional stress. So you, you are making decisions where you are the, the final decision maker. 
and you know the success or not success of something is going to depend on that decision that that 100 comes with with more stress um and you're ultimately you're always trying to make them for the right reason right you're trying to you know create a better product for the customer you're trying to make sure the business is growing in the right way right the, the, the intent is there but ultimately you've got to make a decision at some point um and that is that is stressful no 100 percent. because I'm, I, I think there's like you know as you said there's well, there's a couple of sides of it but like one is um are you able to not let stress affect your performance right whether that's decision making or anything else i think the other one is like uh what is my experience of life with like given this stress right because for example you could talk to athletes and um, i don't know johnny wilkinson is always an example he he felt huge amounts of stress anxiety around his job he was able to deal with them in a way that didn't affect his performance. He would perform really well. But if you listen to interviews with him, he's like, I wasn't having a good time. Like that wasn't enjoyable for me. Right. So do you think about that other side of it as well? Or is that something that's just not really a thing for you? It's funny. Like this is something that I, I I've heard like other people have said to me as well, right? Like you always seem you're very kind of stressed, etc. I think the first thing I'll say is, you know, there's a difference between not stressed and not showing you're too stressed, right? Um, that's, and that's a big one. But that said, I, I do think I probably have developed a good ways of dealing with stressful situations. Um, and I don't know, look, I, you know, are we, I don't know if that's, a, if that's something that I've always had or if it's something that I've kind of built better over time. The other way sometimes with, with skills like that, when it's not like a, a switch is flicked, it's hard to know, have I always been like that? Or is that just something that, you know, the situation that I've been in have developed me? I, I think what I've, if I try to self-reflect, I think being able to disassociate yourself and your sense of self-worth and personal risk from the decisions that you're making is, is, is part of it, right? So if there's a very stressful like quote unquote situation at work. I think I'm able to say that that is a stressful situation at work, right? That is not me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that allows you to stay much more calmer about the situation and approach it in a much more thoughtful, methodical way. It's not that you don't get, you know, um, it's not that you're trying to take emotions out of it, right? Because I actually think that that's important, but more the success or failure of this decision doesn't mean that I am a success or failure. <laughs> it's a really interesting perspective on it, right? Um, uh, because it, when I think about, say, the unfortunate thing is, I think that having your self-worth tied up in something can drive you to do really well at it to, to a point, right? And I, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here, of course, right? So it's like, it can, it can, if you really think, oh my God, for me to enjoy life and be content, I have to do well at this thing, right? It's probably, it's gonna create a lot of stress for you, but it's also gonna make you go and try really hard to be good at it because it's what you care about so much. And so it can actually drive you and you can get away with it for quite a while because it's like, it's self-reinforcing. And if somebody was like, well, maybe you shouldn't tie yourself worth to like your performance in your job, you might go, okay, sure. But look at it all that that has got me, that that belief has got me. So it's like, it can be hard to let go. But then I think, you know, 
it's very difficult to take it to the, whatever that next level of performance is, whether it's job, sport, or whatever else, because then it just gets all tied up in this whole stress and mix of emotions where, you know, if you really want to perform at that top level, you probably can't be doing that and still have it, you know? So it's interesting that, like, you know, to, to, to really do well, you actually have to care a bit less than maybe what, how much you care to get there. It's it's really true. Like it's it's really really true. I, I think that the only thing I would say on that is I think it's not necessarily the caring less, right? Because you can still really 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 want the thing, right? I I know and I, I, I know that um you know when you're when you're in something that you're really focused on and you want to achieve, like you can really really want that thing. But there's almost a, a stage where you sort of got to trust in the steps that you've taken in the process that you've, you've taken that in yourself as a person that you've done the right things. And then sometimes things go wrong. Like sometimes things don't happen for you, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, if you're defining, I, I think if you're defining, let's say your self-worth by the success or failure of that thing, I mean, if it's successful, great. Right. And that like self reinforces that, that point. Right. And, and you drive on for the next thing and it's successful. But then if you get a failure and you get like a real knock, y- your confidence is shot, very difficult to build back up, very difficult to like apply the right processes and structures and, you know, making the right decisions. Whereas if you can kind of separate that a little bit, it allows you to much more clear headedly focus on what you're doing, take the right decisions um, adapt to things that happen because you know so much of life is is honestly like luck, um, and yeah, I think it's I think it's important. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a really interesting thing to talk about, and it's one that um, yeah, I, I certainly took a lot from like sports psychology around it because um, exactly as you say, you can care really deeply about something, but at a certain point, if that, if that's all consuming it's probably detrimental to what you're trying to achieve. On a slightly different point, right? So when people would think of somebody, the classic person in your kind of role, right? They would probably think that they spend all their time in work, thinking about work, everything else. And you obviously do work hard, but I think people would probably be surprised by the amount of what I would call quote unquote balance that you have in your life, like all the other things, like the pastimes, different places, you know, whether it's music or sailing or sport or just friends and families and vacations, whatever else it is, like you seem to have a very strong balance across all those things. Is that something that you are very conscious of creating or is it something that's just kind of naturally how you live your life? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good question. It's something that I think about a lot. I think it's, it is quite conscious and I would, would probably say that I think sometimes people falsely view it as a binary, right? Um, I, I need to take away from work to make time for life. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like that's constantly something we're talking with like the work-life balance situation is, oh, you've got to, you know, uh, make sure that you're, you know, e- even if it means that you're, you're sacrificing a bit of work, you've got to make time for, you know, personal life, all of those things. For me, Again, particularly in my experience, the thing that helps me to do well at my job is to make good decisions, right? Like, like most fundamentally, it's that you are thinking about things clearly. You know, you are making good decisions. 
that happens when you're in a personally happy place, right? So I don't see it as a, as a binary. It's something that like I certainly prioritize in my life, making sure that I'm getting enough time to, you know, spend with, spend with Bella, enough time to spend with friends, some friends, some with family, et cetera. Yes, because I want to do all of those things, right? Like that's the reason that I do them. But, uh, you know, when I think about it from, if you're thinking about it from a pure work perspective, that is a helpful thing, right? For you to do well at your job as well, because you, you feel more balanced. You're not feeling burned out. You're feeling energized from having spent times doing the things and passions that you like to do outside of work. So for me, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a binary. I think it's actually a really important part of what makes you a good person and therefore what makes you good at what you do in your job as well. And there are some people look who, who like that passion and those things that they enjoy maybe is the job, right? And they do want to spend all of the times at work, right? And I think sometimes that's demonized to the other side, but it's definitely something that consciously I know I am better at work if I have got to spend time playing sports, if I've got to, um, you know, cook dinner with my wife in the evenings, got to spend time with my family. And, you know, that's not to say I don't work long hours and, and hard. Sometimes you know, really do and, and, and you, you prioritize and you do that. But I think, again, just as a, on the balance of things, making sure that you're making time for those things outside of work, I, I don't think takes away from your work. I actually think it makes you a, a better, long-term makes you a better, more productive uh, person to have a job as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I'd say that's a, a unique but very accurate way of actually looking at things. And I, you're, you're right. A lot of people think it's, it's binary and I have to take from one to give to the other and that's it. Um, I've got probably two more questions for you, right? So the next one um, is a bit, it's a bit, perhaps a bit of a tricky one. So I'm actually not even sure if you'll have an answer for this, but I, I'm, I'm just interested because I want to know, right? As you, the question is basically, do you kind of have a life philosophy for want of a better word or structure for how you think about living like a good, happy life? Um, primarily in the terms of like how you make decisions, right? Like if you were making a decision, whether it's job or otherwise, is there anything that you think, well, okay, is this, this, is this going to, how do you think through those decisions on a, on a very macro level? You know, do you have like a life philosophy that you can kind of go back to and say, well, you know, that's not lined with this. So I, I probably shouldn't do it. I think it's a, it's a really, really tough question. Um, which is exactly what this podcast is for. So it's, it's good. Um, I don't know that I've got one single neat life philosophy that I could put on the front page of like a business book, <laughs> um, which I did. But um, I, when I look back, I do think I've got a couple of like principles that I've certainly applied to decisions um, that I think is, is helpful. Some of them are like honestly blatantly contradictory, but you know, <laughs> I deal with that as well. Um, I, I think the first one, like that one about, you know, that I, I told you that piece of advice or like pick the job that you feel makes you a more interesting person is actually really important because that's a subjective definition, right? What's interesting to some people is different to others, but it forces you to pick things that you are interested in and passionate about rather than what like the, you know, the the world or or like the cultural definition of what that is at the time right so and, and for me that's changed over time 
Do you know what I mean? What I felt was very interesting when I moved to Ethiopia was to go and work in, in Ethiopia and, and do those things, right? When I took this job, it was to be building a business. And, um, but again, it kind of forces you to think like, what, what am I actually like really interested in at the moment? And I think sometimes when you think about when it's couched in language that's too flowery around your passion or your dream or your goal, it's so lofty that you're never going to find it, right? But if you've got like a couple of decisions to go with, what do you think is going to make in you, your opinion, like you an interesting, more, more interesting person that pushes you to, to like maybe take some decisions that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and I've certainly found it, it, it pushed me to do decisions that I wouldn't have otherwise. Right. Uh, so again, that's, that's maybe one. I've got a couple of others that are maybe less fleshed out or intuitive, but I'll chat through with you. So this is one that like I'm increasingly thinking about. Um, have you heard of the like the concept called like the hedonic treadmill? Yes. Would explain it. So you know, for those that don't know it, so this this is a concept that after major positive or negative life changes or events, your happiness can return to to a mean level, right? That's what the concept is. I remember reading about this, probably like sitting in like a dentist read it in like you know a, a magazine or something like that i haven't explored it any more than that surface level right i haven't like read research on it i haven't you know listened to it or anything like that but i found it re- it's really like spoken to me and it's, i've actually like um thought about it quite a lot that and the way that i interpret it right which is probably not even the original meaning of it is that if you're trying to find like life satisfaction and happiness it is not through events or circumstantial changes it's something it's a separate path that you go on to find and, and you know the, the kind of the extreme examples that the people list are things like you know if you win the lottery or, or if you you know lose a, a leg right your happiness mean happiness can return to the same level and you know whether or not it's true i don't know but it is something that i think about when i think about decisions i am not chasing something that i think is going to make me happier right because I don't, I honestly don't think that that's necessarily the way to think about that. There's all sorts of reasons to pick interesting careers, right? And be engaged, making sure that you're kind of contented. But in terms of, you know, your day-to-day and like medium-term life satisfaction, that's something that I honestly think can be the same if you're doing, you know, basically any job, but there's something that you've got to find in a different journey within yourself. And that's a journey that I've gone on, but it's a separate journey to my career. Like it really is. Um, and I, I think, again, maybe it's back to this like stress point that if you can, to a certain extent, identify that your life is not tied up in that career decision, the success failure of that decision is, you know, becomes a little bit easier to take, right? Because I, I know that if this goes well, or if it doesn't go well, I can still come home, sit down on the couch, watch Netflix with Bella, you know, have, have a great time, right? Um, or, or, you know, I can still think about myself and evaluate myself in, in the same way. So I don't know if that's how the concept is, is, is like actually out there in the world, but that's what I take from it. Uh, and I, th- I, f- I have found it really helpful. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I really like that because um, I think if you think of like two different ends of the scale of hedonic adaptation, right? So one is that like, okay, I'll be happy when I get um, a new car. Right. And then you get the car and it's great for a week and you're like, oh, fine, I'm just back to my mean happiness. 
right? Which I think people can probably intuit or maybe understand a bit more, even though it's still real. But then there's also a, a, a bigger one, which is like, I'll be happy when, you know, I have a job, this job, and I get married, right? And people probably believe that one a lot more, right? And I, I can I can totally see why. And but we say, but 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 actually, it probably extends to a lot of those things as well, you know. And so, like, yeah, it it just feels like you more have to. And it's like I'm thinking about this right now, right? Because when I'm going through the process of trying to figure out what I want to do next, right? And a lot of it is based on decision making. Go, okay, well, all I need to do is find the perfect job for me, and then everything will fall into place, and I'll have this wonderfully contented life, right? Whereas, like, has that ever happened in the past? No, of course not, right? Like, I thought that in college. It's like, if I could just get a job at McKinsey, wouldn't my life just every day would be a 10 out of 10? It's like, no, no, of course not. Like, and, and the thing about it, like, if you want to get even deeper, is, like, it's very helpful for society um, that people believe that, right? Because you're always pushing and chasing the next big thing. You're, you know, working that, those extra hours you're taking that job that maybe you don't want to because you think it will get you to that point and all of those things right because that's when i'll i'll get happy you know like the whole concept like the pursuit of happiness right that happiness is a an object or event that can happen and then right i have it now happy and i just don't i really don't think that's how it works i, I think that you can go on that journey you know like separately entirely to to where you're living like you know, uh, how much you're earning, what your job is, all of those things are cool, right? Like there are things that you need to think about really thoughtfully and you, you've got to think things that, you know, overall, uh, you know, it's not to say that we, we can all just sit back and not take any life decisions because it's not going to change our happiness, right? That's, that's not, and I think necessarily what it is. It's more that there's a separate journey you personally got to go on within yourself to think like, what am I, what is going to make me content? How do I think about myself? Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily chasing that job salary raise thing. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is what that journey looks like for everybody can be somebody, something completely different, right? For somebody, if some people, it's a religious journey for some, it's, I don't even know, but like something completely different, but it's just like, it all probably starts with like a similar question and then everyone goes down their random different paths and discovers it. And actually I think oftentimes, although the findings from that journey can be interesting, they're often pretty irrelevant to another person. <laughs> you know, they just don't help. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Like kind of back to this point that like, you know, we all have life with like a, a, a N equals one data set. So like we only have the one life means that you know i think there's there's a lot to be said for just you've got to have that you know have that journey yourself and you can take a lot of advice from other people that have been on similar paths and maybe steer you well i think that's exactly what it's like this podcast is really good for to hear from lots of different perspectives but at some point it is something you've kind of got to you know, think about and, and go on as, as yourself and look i've been in you know in incredibly like incredibly lucky in, in my life right you know great family great friends uh, i met um bella my, my wife like you know in, in college right like all of those things right there's there's a lot of things that have have kind of come really good but that's not to say i haven't had to separately think about how i become happy content 
satisfied. And I, I, that's been a different, at least in my experience, that's been a different journey to the career path that we've talked about. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what you think about this, but look, like we're not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're not either old or mature, I like to think. <laughs> but I, I have a very different perspective on this when I came out of college, right? Where I thought if I did X, Y, Z, then, you know, that will be the, the moment that I'm content, right? I often, like, I sometimes think, geez, when I sit down and I'm 40 or when I'm 50, I'm going to look back at me when I was this age. I'm going to think I was such an idiot, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I thought that was what was important. And now, whereas now, so I'm like, oh, I've got it all figured out, you know? But it's okay. I clearly don't. You at 70 would probably look back at you at 50 and say, oh, what an idiot. 100%. But then I think the other thing is, what I've heard is, like, um, if you don't, then you haven't changed, right? So it's kind of like... Well, you got to pick one or one of either evils here. So, um, look, I think, yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good place to uh, to wrap up. I think this is a great conversation, um, like covering everything from the very practical side of things, perhaps more esoteric. So, um, yeah, thanks a million for coming on. Like, like, like all of our all of our best conversations. Super. Thank you, Stephen. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I just had with Philip. There was a couple of things that I found particularly insightful that I'm going to take away and think about a bit more and maybe apply into my own life. And the first one of those was about the importance of not getting your sense of self-worth from your job. So this is something that I you know, probably realized only a year or two ago. But when you're able to realize that, you know, how you perform in work is important, but it's really not everything. And like your self-worth and happiness like shouldn't be dependent on how you perform there. It does two things. One, it just makes you overall like a happier, less anxious, less stressed person. Um, but then two, it actually also helps you to perform a bit better in your work. And it was interesting to hear Philip talk about that, especially from his background in sports and sports psychology. And be able to say he was able, you know, that ability to be able to detach the two of those and say, well, I'm going to focus on, you know, the process in my work and what I'm doing and really striving to get good results. But at the end of the day, if I don't, if they don't happen, because there's a million reasons that they mightn't happen, that is okay too. And it's especially interesting to hear from somebody who's been, you know, so successful in their careers to have that attitude. Because I don't think it's something that you would necessarily think from somebody uh, who's achieved as much as he has. The second one was just the quick little thing, which was when he's making decisions, he asks himself the question, you know, would this make me an interesting person or which choice would make me a more interesting person? And I just love like little questions or little sentences that you can add into your decision making process um, around career or life decisions and just give you a different lens through which you can look at things. The third one was about work and life not being a binary option. So we always talk about work-life balance and the fact that you know, if we want to spend more time outside of work, whether it's hobbies or with friends and families, that that is going to mean spending less time in work and sacrificing work results. And Phil's point is like, that doesn't need to be the case at all. And in fact, they can be, they can work together really well. And so I thought it was super interesting to hear him talk about that and especially say that, you know, his job is reliant on him making good decisions and he can't make good decisions 
or he makes better decisions if he's you know, not stressed, if he's happy in his personal life, then he can come to work and he can make really good decisions with a clear mind. One of the other things I thought was when I asked him about like, what skills do you think are most important or have helped you to progress as quickly as you have and land a job as a CEO at such a young age? And he, was all, he said it's all about building relationships. It's clear that he is good at it and that he enjoys it. And it's a skill that is really important, I think, especially even for people early on in their career to think about. Because, you know, if you're joining a graduate program or if you're an analyst or even an associate in certain levels of programs or in certain jobs, oftentimes you're just thinking, okay, I just need to get my job done. I need to build a model, create the presentation, uh, launch the campaign, whatever else it is. And it can be very transactional, but actually the skill that's really worthwhile developing over time is how well can you build relationships, you know, whether that's with people on your team, your managers, your boss, and how he said that the biggest thing he does to do that is just be a real person, no matter who they are, realize that they're a real person and that that's just such a natural and authentic way to build those relationships. So they were just a handful of the things I took away from this conversation. And um, there's going to be tons more, especially when I listen back on it again. But I really hope you enjoyed it and that you took something from it as well. If you want to follow The Two Roads on socials, you can. Um, on Instagram, it's at Two Roads Pod. And on LinkedIn, you can just find me on my personal profile. It's Steve Duke. So I share a lot of the insights and summaries from the podcast itself. But then I also create other content to help people think through how they can find a job in life that they love. All right, that's all for this week. And I will see you next time.